Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Now, there's an upcoming biopic of the composer Leonard Bernstein, which is starring and directed by Bradley Cooper. And for that role, he's chosen to wear a prosthetic nose. The Bernstein family say they've no problem with this, but others say it plays into that old anti-Semitic stereotype. So how old is that stereotype? Sarah Lipton is Professor of History at Stony Brook University. Sarah, good afternoon. Good afternoon, or I should say good morning from New York. In, indeed. Uh, so, like, in since, I suppose, since the birth of Christianity, uh, um, in, in paintings particularly, were artists always having to, felt they had to find a way to depict Jews in a certain way? No. As a matter of fact, when I started to research the issue, I learned um, and was somewhat surprised by the fact that artists did not seem to feel a need to make Jews be visibly recognizable for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, it was really only first, sometime in the middle of the 1100s, that Christian art found a way to make Jews look Jewish at all. And when they did, it wasn't through facial features or complexion or anything like that. It was just through the assigning of a certain kind of a hat to Jewish figures in mm. Christian art. Yeah, the, the hat is, a, I was reading about that, the hat is a funny one. Do, do you know why they chose to suddenly start putting hats on Jews? Yeah, what I argue in the book that I wrote about this is that the hats first appear on the heads of Hebrew prophets, And they are exactly the same hats as the same artist showed on the heads of the three magi. And it was just a way of showing that figures were ancient and wise and Eastern and had some kind of religious authority. Um, And this is because medieval people did see very old art. They had remains from the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire showed Persians and Persian priests wearing that kind of pointed hat. And we have texts that say that medieval Christian people knew that the ancient Eastern Oriental, as they would have called them, priests wore pointed hats. And so that was just a way of showing that Hebrew prophets had ancient Eastern-type authority. It was not um, denigratory in any yeah. way. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Though, as, as I understand it, the fact that, 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 that Jews are being depicted wearing these hats eventually led to a real-world effect. That is what I argue, yes. And in fact, art doesn't just reflect what people think. Art affects and changes what people think. So what I found out is that after quite a few decades of seeing Jews wearing pointed hats in art, Christian people started noticing, wait a minute, Jews don't wear pointed hats in real life. Mm -hmm. How come we can't recognize Jews when we look at them? And we have plenty of texts that say we cannot recognize Jews when we look at them. It is very clear that most Jews did not look noticeably different from the Christians among whom they lived. And so that is why the notorious Jewish badge um, laws started to be introduced. Um, in, In fact, the Some of the first laws didn't say what Jews had to wear to identify themselves, just a specific kind of clothing. And then some of those laws said the clothing should be a pointed hat because that's what they used to wear. And it seems the idea that Jews used to wear such hats came from looking at art because, of course, they didn't have photo albums in the Middle Ages. Mm. So, in effect... You know, that we have this idea that there's this 2,000-year-old kind of blood libel against, uh, against the Jews. Was, that, was there not much evidence of that there uh, uh, then, historically? 
Oh, well, the blood libel, as we call it, is only introduced um, really in the, after the Middle Ages were well underway. Um, the first accusation that Jews cr- killed a Christian child for religious purposes appeared in England in the middle of the 1100s, probably not coincidentally around the same time as visual devices identifying Jews appeared in art. And then the idea that they killed these Jews to use their blood was introduced a little bit later. So it's rather late in the game. Um, Mm. In fact, the first accusations that people killed children for ritual purposes were made against early Christians Mm. by Roman pagans. So the the depiction then uh, of Jewish people with large noses, when did that arrive? That came in a little bit after the introduction of the hat. Um, It seems to arrive around um, the year 1200. For a couple of decades, you saw any bad guys in Christian art being shown with big noses of various types, long noses or hooked noses or beak-like noses. And that very clearly comes from the idea of trying to argue that bad people were like beasts. So they're sort of snouts Mm. or beaks. And that was also the way um, artists showed the devil. The devil always had animal characteristics, a beak or a snout or a horn or claws or something like that. And it was not restricted to Jews, and it was not ethnic. But the change comes um, a little after 1200, when art in medieval Europe went from being a little stylized and abstract to being much more realistic and naturalistic. So artists took this range of kind of weird, distorted nose shapes and narrowed it down to be something that looked more like an exaggerated, stereotyped version of an actual person's face. So that seemed to come a little bit after 1200, maybe 1230, 1240, and in very specific places, in Germany, in France, and in England. Um, That may have been because of developments in art. It may also be because the Jewish populations in those places, in Germany, in northern France, and in England, did share perhaps some noticeable family characteristics. Um, Of course, there's no such thing as a Jewish race, Mm -hmm. but some Jews in northern Europe in the Middle Ages, you know, there was a great deal of kind of intermarriage and what we call endogamy and might have developed strong family characteristics and so the stereotype could have been threatened, uh, strengthened if the faces artists devised ended up did looking like actual some actual Jewish faces around them. I mean, I think it would be silly to argue that no Jews anywhere look like the anti-Jewish stereotype, but certainly not all Jews, not even most Jews, ever looked like it. We have records from medieval England that, that name Jews, um, Aaron the Blonde, he's called. So we know Jews were blonde. <laughs> Jews had all sorts of noses. Um, but again, the stereotype conveyed a certain kind of um, value judgment. It comes from beasts and the devil, and it was bad. And then it became grafted onto Jews as anti-Semitism was rising for a range of reasons. Mm. And that stereotype then, was that equal across Europe? Uh, um, as time went by, or was it kind of, because as you say, in Germany it was depicted, obviously we know what happened later, and it was it was doubled down upon. Was it the same in other parts of Europe too? The stereotype did spread because of the spread of artistic styles and conventions. 
so that I see, for example, in a set of um, beautiful illustrated manuscripts made for the King of Castile in Spain in the 1280s, you start seeing Jews with kind of hooked, bumped noses. And that is in some ways a particularly interesting example because it's very clear that no such family and facial characteristics would have been typical of Jews in Spain. Jewish communities in Spain were very, very old. Um, Spanish communities themselves, they were dark, they were Mediterranean, there were a lot of immigrants from all over the North Africa and the Eastern Mediterranean. And if Jews, maybe some of them looked different in Germany, that would not have been the case in Spain. So I think that's a question of artistic borrowing, not of reflecting reality. Um, and yet the stereotype became very firmly established so that if, um, we see no texts talking about Jews with big noses in the Middle Ages, but we start seeing texts talking about that in the 1500s and the 1600s. And then, of course, it became very firmly established. Yeah. And it is interesting. It becomes very firmly established, even though people, as you say, in you know Southern Europe can look around them and say, this isn't actually true. Right. Um, But one of the interesting things about the way art works and the way the human mind works, and I imagine listeners will have experienced phenomena along these lines themselves, which is you only notice what you are kind of pre-trained or pre-prompted to notice. Mm. Um, So that I believe this stereotype managed to spread in the face of, you know, visual experience, because people were trained to expect to see big hooked noses on Jews. So when they saw a big hooked nosed Jew, and there are some, obviously, they would say, ah, yes, that's what a Jew looks like. When they see a blonde, blue-eyed Jew, I should mention that um, my family is Jewish and my mother is blonde and blue-eyed, and people don't look at her and say, ah, Jews are blonde and blue-eyed. They Mm. just look at her and don't think about the fact that she's Jewish. Yeah, what, what What's your take personally on, on, on the, the Bradley Cooper controversy? Well, I haven't seen the film, and I'm, you know, I'm an academic, I'm a scholar. I try not to comment on things that I have not read up on and the evidence I'm not familiar with. What I can do is um, share some of the questions I would ask. Um, I would ask, how typical is it for filmmakers in general and this group of filmmakers in particular to very, very closely try to replicate the physical characteristics of the people um, they're, they're making a film about? I mean, some filmmakers really do try to imitate, and I know some filmmakers say, no, it's more about the feel and the interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I would wonder, why is it so important? I would ask... Is the nose um, prosthetic worn by Bradley Cooper, is it really, does it look like Leonard Bernstein's nose? I've seen um, just the, the tweet or the statement released by his children saying he had, yes, he had a large nose and he wouldn't deny it. But, you know, there are different kinds of large noses. And um, is the prosthetic replicating stereotypes or is it really an attempt to show what Leonard Bernstein looked like. Mm. Um, these are questions I would ask. I don't have yeah. the answers since I haven't seen the film. Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah, I, one assumes in all good faith um, that Bradley Cooper wasn't trying to uh, uh, perpetuate a, a stereotype. So unfortunately, like, people are just going to go to the film and all they're going to see is the nose, which kind of, in a right. way, I demonstrates mean, again, what you've been talking about. Indeed, exactly. I mean, I, I certainly would not imagine that Bradley Cooper or any of the filmmakers 
intended to denigrate Leonard Bernstein. Apparently, they made the film because they admire him. But, yeah, I do think people want to be a little careful and just think about, what am I trying to say here? What is the most important thing about Leonard Bernstein? What do I want people to pay attention to? I mean, I'll just quickly share a memory. I I grew up outside of New York City, and my parents are classical music fans, and they took me to those famous family concerts um, conducted by Leonard Bernstein at mm. Lincoln Center. And I have rather vivid memories of him. He was a striking figure. And what I remember is his gestures, his energy, very, very full head of wavy hair, and the fact that he wore turtlenecks, which was very unusual for a classical music conductor. Mm. I, I confess I don't remember a thing about his nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, though, that tells its own story too, it must be said. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Sarah Lipton is Professor of History and Chair of Department of History at Stony Brook at University. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.